This week, Sister Hannah Troxell teaches on the topic, Not All Who Wander Are Lost. Thank you, Jesus. You guys can go ahead and be seated. I'm so thankful to come here on Wednesday nights. I know I say it every time I get up here, but I really am. Sometimes the week just gets weary. Does anyone else just get weary? Me too. But I am thankful for young adults. I was actually, I was thinking about it the other day. I just, I came to Calvary, had no idea what I was doing with my life. Brother Lopez and Brother Kilman said, so you go to young adults? And I was like, yeah, Brother Kilman, Dean of Theology, I'll do whatever you tell me. So I came and not only the Lopez's, but Megan, Camera, Lindsay, they just welcomed me in. Thank you for making my church family, my new family, my church family. I appreciate that so much. Thank you to the Lopez's for all their hard work and their dedication. And of course, thanks to Brother Mooney for allowing me to even be in young adults. And Brother and Sister Barkus, I know they're not in young adults anymore. I didn't even really know they were over young adults until like they were leaving young adults. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. But they impact my life every day. This morning we, ha- we have prayer on Wednesday mornings and Brother Barkus just comes in. He's my boss. And like when I worked at IPS, my boss was not as kind as Brother Barkus. And like every time, every Wednesday we have prayer. And afterwards he ends like this. Thank you so much for all of your hard work. And I just take it so personally. Like he's really thankful. But I think that's what a good leader does. Like that's what good leaders do. They just know, they show you how much they appreciate your work. It's kind of like the Lord. And if we really listen, I think he's telling us, I just want to encourage you in what you're doing and not to grow weary in well-doing for we shall reap if we faint not. My title tonight, as cliche as this sounds and how as annoying of a title that I think this is, is Madison even in here right now? Oh, there she is. Okay, <laughs> this, is, this is for you, Madison. Not all those who wonder are lost. And I'll explain that later. But first we're gonna go to Genesis 12. So if you could turn there with me. We're in Genesis 12, and we're gonna talk about Abraham and Sarah. You know the story. I'm sorry, I am going to repeat it. So just bear with me. It's one of my favorites. I just love the story of Abraham and Sarah. So Genesis 12, verse one. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing and I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee all families of the earth be blessed. And verse four. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lot went with him, and Abram was 70 and five years old. Kevin, I taught about this in Old Testament characters, and I made your cousin Riley be Abram. And like 17 times, I had him walk from the front of the room to the back of the room. You're gonna leave everything you know. So here are all your friends, here's all your family. Now walk over there, and you don't know how to get there, you don't know where you're going, but go anyway. And I could make Kevin do it, but I, I won't. I won't put that pressure on you. I did use Riley Brzezinski, and he was, he was our Abraham in class. 
So Abram is told to leave Ur. He goes into Haran with his father, and then and then his father dies, and, and he leaves again. He is promised a blessing. He is promised a blessing for leaving all that he knows. If we could turn to Hebrews 11.8. Hebrews 11.8. I've probably quoted this like a thousand times when I teach because Hebrews 11 is my favorite chapter of the Bible. So forgive me for that also. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed and he went out, not knowing whither he went. We took the middle schoolers on a field trip to the National Air Force Museum. And if you haven't been, you should definitely go. It was really cool. They have a Holocaust exhibit. And we were fortunate enough to have a survivor speak to our middle schoolers. Ira was the man's name. Ira's family was Jewish. His dad entered the war in, in World War II. And his dad put him and his mom on a train to enter Siberia. And he said the last like visual of his dad he has is his dad shoving him on this train and waving goodbye and weeping. And that was the last time he saw his father as he was killed in World War II. Ira told of the horror that he lived in the freezing weather in Siberia. He and his mom were, were not put into a concentration camp. They were kept safe because his dad entered the war. But their living conditions were still horrible. It was freezing and they had near to no food. They didn't have all of the accommodations that we would expect to have today. But he said his mom did her best to supply what food they could. The government supplied them with, I think, a pound of potatoes and a sack of potatoes and a pound of flour every month. And that's what they had to live on. She would scrounge up like little leaves and like crush them down and, and make these little flimsy pancakes. And this was the most disgusting thing that really got the middle schoolers squirmy, so be ready. And they didn't have any meat, so when they saw rats outside running around, they would chase them down and eat them because that was like a source of protein. So Ira did not grow up in some easy, gentle, perfect life. It was, it was really hard, but he kept saying, but we survived and, and we kept on living. This like 80-year-old man, he's talking to these 12-year-olds and he just keeps saying, but we survived and we kept on living. We survived and... And we kept on living. He said when the war was over, you know, they were so fortunate to be alive that even though there were these horrible circumstances that they were living in, they were so glad that the war was over and, and they could go home. And I, I tried to write all this, type all this in my phone while I was speaking because I didn't want to forget. So it's pretty close to a quote. He said, we didn't know where to go when the war was over, but we knew the road to take us out of there. We had to leave. We started walking, carrying only what we owned. With blankets wrapped around us, we walked for a long time. The roads were clogged with refugees. We came to a train stop, and we waited and waited for a train. We took the train, and we found where our home was. But our home was destroyed. Our town was destroyed. Our house was in rubble. But we survived. We kept on living. So many of those things that Ira said that day will forever stick with me. And I hope our middle schoolers. We didn't know where to go, but we knew the road 
to take to get us out of there. I'm going to preach not all those who wonder are lost, but I'd like to talk to you about three different things. Wandering, waiting, and worrisome dangers. Thank you, Caitlin, for helping me come up with that alliteration. <laughs> Wandering. In Hebrews 11.8, Abram leaves a town that he knows and wanders all around. He doesn't know where he's going, but he knows the road to get him out of there. Tolkien in, in the Lord of the Rings, the series, I'm not sure even what book it's from, but it, he says, all that is gold does not glitter. Not all those who wonder are lost. The old that is strong does not wither. Deep roots are not reached by the frost. From the ashes of fire shall be woken. A light from the shadows shall spring. Renewed shall be blade that was broken. The crownless again shall be king. When I say I used to hate the quote, not all those who wonder are lost, I really mean like I thought it was so annoying. It really irritated me. It sounded really cliche. And I thought it meant like people that like have no meaning to their life, like, oh, they're not really lost. They still have like happiness and joy. But that's actually not what it means. I was irritated because I'm like, my, my life is not my own. I have a purpose in God and, and I have, he is directing my footsteps. So why would I say not all those who wonder are lost? Like I'm not wandering around. But then I found out a little more about the quote and I realized this is not what the author meant. You see, your life is not your own. When you sing, my life is not my own, to you I belong, things like, I surrender all, I surrender all. Well, when you really do, then your life is not your own. You've dedicated it to the Lord. But when becoming his, he often calls us to go out from a place we know and puts us through a transition. And you feel like you are aimlessly wandering around. I wonder if that's how Abraham felt. Aimlessly, just walking through this land that he's not familiar with. I wonder if he felt abandoned or questioned. God, I, I think this is what you said to do, but, but where are you now? He knew he had to go. And he knew the road to take. The Lord often asks us to go through a time of wondering, a time of aimlessness, a time where you feel distracted from the path God has chosen you for. You might be saying, God, I know that you called me. I know, I know that you did. I know you have spoken, but I feel forgotten. Where are you? Let's talk about waiting. You know the story of Abraham and Sarah, but just humor me, humor me for a minute. God had promised to bless him, to make him a great nation, and to give him sons if he would leave his father's house. He had to leave all that he knew. How difficult would that be to leave all of your family, to leave all that you know, to go into a land you are not familiar with, I tried looking it up, but I couldn't figure it out. Like literally, how did Abraham know how to get to Canaan? How did he know the path? I really couldn't find it. 
I don't know how he knew, but I just have to trust that just like Ira, while he didn't know how to get there, God showed him the road to take. God says, get up and go and I will bless you. Leave your family, leave what is comfortable, leave the worshiping of the sun and the moon God. That's why he had to get out of there. God was saying, I am one, Abraham. There is one God. There is a truth that I want to teach you, but you have to leave what you know because what you know is not true. When the Lord is asking you to get up and move, he's saying, I want you to know the truth about who I am. And so Abraham leaves. But then Sarah, we know the story. She can't have children. And it's like God just whispers, wait. And when Abraham leaves his father's house, he takes Lot, his nephew. And it's astounding to me that Lot is married and starts having children. His nephew so younger than him, right away, starts married with children. You might feel someone else's promise has come before yours. How is this fair? How is this okay? And God whispers, wait. When Abraham leaves, how frustrating it must be. Sarah's job as a woman in the Old Testament was three things. Get married, please your husband, and have a baby boy. And God says, no, nah, no, nah, just wait. And so they, they actually get to Canaan, and there's a famine there. And they leave. So I question my seventh graders. So, so they leave, and there's a famine. Is that okay? Was this a lack of faith? What was Abraham doing? What was Sarah thinking? And, and some of them, they're really cute because they're 12. And some of them are like, why didn't they just wait? And I'm like, well, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. What if it was two weeks without food? And they're like, oh, well, yeah, it's probably okay that they just left. <laughs> but God maybe again was whispering to them, wait. But they go to Egypt and, and you know, they meet Pharaoh and, and Abraham and Sarah. Abraham tells Sarah, he says, when you're really beautiful. So when we get here, we have to lie to Pharaoh and we have to tell him that you're just my sister. And, and they were half brother and half sister. But in their culture, once you got married, that new relationship took precedence over any other relationship before. So they lie. That's also fun to teach middle schoolers, marrying your brother and sister. But Pharaoh takes Sarah for his own, and then you know God, God sends a plague and, and protects Sarah. And Pharaoh returns Sarah to Abraham, and, and I love this part, and you've probably heard Sister Barca say it because I stole this from her. But it's like the call of Abraham was also the call of Sarah, and the protection of Abraham was also for the protection of Sarah. And I just love that, how beautiful that God would protect and preserve Sarah. These women who didn't mean a lot in their culture, God was saying, no, no, this is mine anointed. And so again, they wait. In Genesis 13, Abraham and Lot's flocks grow and, and their herdsmen begin to have strife and Abraham decides they need to depart and he shows an excellent example of kindness and he allows Lot to choose which way to go and, and Abraham just says, I'll go the other way. And so again, they, they wait. Genesis 15.1 It says, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision saying, fear not, Abram, 
I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. This is really neat right here. This is the first I am in scripture. So fear not, Abram, I am. God says for the first time, I am thy shield. Thy shield meaning thy protector. I'm not leaving, I'm protecting. I am your protector. And then he says, and thy exceeding great reward. And, and Abram misses this a little bit because he says, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I have no son? Who should I give my inheritance to? My servant, Elizer? But God didn't say right here, I'm going to reward you. He says, I am thy exceeding great reward. I am your reward, Abram. Not only am I a rewarder of them that diligently seek me, but I am the reward. If we could just understand that, if Abram could have just understood that right then, Abram asks, is, is my servant the one? Should I give my inheritance to him? But when God promises you something, he will give it to you. Waiting can be so hard. We live in a right now culture. God, I want it right now with microwaves and drive throughs They even have grocery delivering services, which I think is like the coolest thing ever. Waiting in lines is so annoying. But God said, Abram, I am your reward. Just be okay with serving me for a while. Just be okay where you're at. I put you there. Just be okay with working for me while entertaining my presence and going where I've called you, wandering and waiting. I am your reward. You don't need anything else, Abraham. Right here, God shows Abraham who he is. He shows him how different he is from the false gods of his father's house. He shows him he is the one true God. He shows him he is the protector and his reward. But Abram goes right back to asking. It's like he doesn't even get it. I feel like that with my middle schoolers. Like, did you just hear what I said? But Genesis 15, 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Verse 6. And Abraham believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. So Abraham waits. He finally believes and then in the later of that scripture, he offers sacrifices to God. It's like he does the right thing. He gets, he starts to get into this place where he can be in covenant with God. Sarah in her waiting and wandering begins to worry and offers her maidservant to Abraham. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah and Hagar is despised by Sarah and Sarah deals hardly with her. It means like she abused her from this doubt from Sarah and Abraham's doubt. Ishmael is born when Abraham is 80 years old, but God speaks again and says, this is not my promise. Abraham, I'm asking you to wait. I'm not going to take what you're doing with your own hands. I'm not going to do what you think is right. 
this lady at my home church, she had this like weird but kind of cool story. She um, she had a roommate and they were like making cookies and she was using like a handheld blender and she put the blender in and you know how it kind of like splashes like cookie dough or brownie batter, thank the Lord, <laughs> up on the side. Well, she like, she's has the blender in one hand and she goes to like scoop it down with her hand, like scoop the dough from the side and put it in and she gets her hand like entangled in the mixer which cannot be comfortable so they she like screams for her roommate who comes running and she turns it off and like she has to like untangle her hands out of there (laughs) i don't think cassie's gonna make it (laughs) no bones were broken (laughs) so she gets her hand out of there and she said the lord spoke to her and said quit putting your hand in the mixing bowl and just wait just wait you don't have to put your hands in my promise i am working for your good the lord is working for our good in genesis 17 abraham is 99 years old Verse 15 says, And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. King of people shall be of her. So the promise really is for Sarah. And so they continue waiting. Psalms 30, verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord, my soul doth wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waiteth for the Lord more than they that watch for the morning. I say more than they that watch for the morning. And this like repeated, and so sometimes it like really catches my attention when they repeat something. It says more than they that watch for the morning. So I have written in my Bible one time when I read this, who waits for the morning? My soul waits more than those that wait for the morning, but who waits? So, waiting for the morning is probably referring to the night watchers in the city or the priest who watched the temple, who being wearied with hard service and want of rest, earnestly desired and eagerly expected the break of day that they might be discharged. Has anyone ever worked the night shift? Thankfully, I have not had to suffer through that, but I have stayed up all night, if that kind of counts. But those people who were working and waiting for the morning to come, waiting for their turn to be over, those that wait for the morning. My soul waits for the Lord more than those that are waiting for the break of day. Psalms 27 says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. This was Psalms 27 is another favorite passage. And when I was at IU, I just remember quoting it over and over again. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. You are not supposed to like find the strength anywhere else. It only comes from the Lord during a waiting time. You can't just go out and buy strength. You can't just go microwave it. It's not something that's fast. 
It's a waiting time. And during those waiting times, during those processes of wandering aimlessly around, God is saying, hey, hey, I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to build up your courage. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So they wait for the promised child. And in Genesis 21, 1, God's promise is fulfilled and Sarah gives birth to Isaac at 90 years old. Some say that she was probably, I, I forget exactly how old she was, but I think like in her early teens. So she's been waiting for a really long time. They've been waiting and wandering. And some worry, some worrisome dangers really set in. Abraham worried about famine and not having a son. He was afraid of Pharaoh and, and so he lied. Chris Hatfield, an astronaut, tells his story by asking this question. What's the most dangerous thing you've ever done? He goes on to say, in, I think, 1995, he goes into space and he gives all of the explanations about the spaceship and his spacesuit, how it's like built, it's like a spaceship built for one, and how he's like up in space and he's just like walking in space. He says he's just looking out at the world. It's like he's going through space, space with the earth. How cool. But he says suddenly his left eye just like went blind. And he can't see anything out of it. There's this like tear that's growing and growing and growing. And because there's no gravity, it won't just drop. And because he's in a spacesuit, he can't wipe it off. So this thing is like growing. It's just like this tear. And all of a sudden, it just kind of like pours over into the other side of his face. So he's completely blind in space. He cannot see anything. At this point in his story, he says, so what's the scariest thing you've ever done? <laughs> nothing that scary and he says but you know I was a little like okay this is not what we had planned but I remembered that we had practiced over and over again while we were still safe on earth comfortable we had practiced things like what to do if suddenly you can't see what to do if you can't you can't call anyone you can't hear anyone what to do if the other person suddenly goes limp and you have to like float them back into the spaceship. They had practiced these things over and over again. Rachel, you'll really love this part of the story. He says, so sometimes people are really scared of spiders and they get really afraid of them. And he says there's like once, he was telling the story when he was in Canada and there's like one spider out of like thousands of kinds of spiders in Canada that's actually like poisonous and its poison is not even enough to kill you it's just like a really bad bite for a while it's the black widow and he said you know how to get over your fear of spiders just start walking into spider webs just start walking into them over and over again yeah I know he's nuts I would never do this but he says how to get over your fear of spiders and to realize that they're not going to kill you just like walk into a spider web every time you see it. And finally, you will retrain your brain that spider webs are actually not scary. You've just made it up in your mind that it's scary. And he's, 
I watch these things on podcasts, on TED Talks. It's like all I do. So you guys should really go check them out. They're really cool. But he talks about how the scary things that we think are so scary are really only perceived fears. He didn't actually have to be afraid in space when he went blind because he had practiced. He was prepared. He had went through that time over and over again of how to walk in space or, or what to do when you walk into a spider web or what to do when the Lord just says, hey, wait here for a while. Chances are this is not the first time God's asked you to wait for something. And definitely this is not the last time the Lord will ask you to wait for something. So what is the most dangerous thing you've ever done? What is the scariest thing you've ever done? Is it waiting on the Lord? Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. Be of good courage. And he'll strengthen your heart. Ira said, but we survived and we kept on living. Wherever you are today, just keep walking. As Brother Pedigo sings, just keep believing. Your promise truly is coming. You know, the other day I was forced to make a new seating chart for my eighth graders because they begged and they begged and they begged for a new seating chart. So, okay, we'll make a new seating chart. Let me start you on something and I'll sit up here and draw a little picture of where all the desks are at and I'll switch you around. So here I am, I realize I'm like, two kids short I'm like uh who am I missing quickest way to figure this out all right raise your hand once I call your name if raise your hand if I don't call your name so I call all the names and all of a sudden Dennis I am not forgotten I am not forgotten I'm not even kidding the kid breaks out and he's like God knows my name so I'm like uh Dennis is everything okay I didn't know what was going on he's like you forgot me but God hasn't Okay. <laughs> Eighth graders are really cool. You really need to meet this kid. But it's so true. You are not forgotten. God knows where you are and he knows the way that you take. He knows where you are walking. He knows where you are waiting and he knows where you are wandering. He's with you every step of the way. Even when the teacher doesn't call your name for the seating chart. He knows where you are. Jeremiah said he knows the thoughts he thinks towards you. Just keep walking. He knows the thoughts. He is walking with you every step of the way. Henry Ford said it like this. If I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Where you are walking, no matter how alone you feel, God is there god is working for your good god knows that what you're asking for in the words of mr ford is something like faster horses and god's saying no you know i've really got a better plan and and maybe i could make this horse run faster but if you just give me a little time i'm going to create a car god has something greater in store for you but he is asking you to walk to run this race with patience 
I'd just like to encourage you today to keep doing what you're doing because you're faithful to the house of God and you've been faithful to prayer and you've been faithful to Bible reading and, and God is saying, this is what I want. This is where I want you. You're right in the palm of my hands and if you just keep waiting and if you just keep wandering, trust me because not all those who wander are lost. You're not lost. You're right where I want you. I know where you're at. I'm walking with you. I know your name and I have not forgotten you because we walk by faith and, and not by sight, not by feelings, not what we feel is good or right, but what we know in his word. When you can't hear his voice, you must trust his word. When you can't feel his hand, you must trust that he does indeed have a plan. Don't give up on the Lord's plan. Don't forsake his truths because you are done waiting or you don't have time to wander because in this wandering time god wants to mold you and shape you into what he has purposed for your life you know brother lopez when i when i decided to come to calvary it was it was kind of like an accident like that wasn't really in my plan and and i and i didn't know where to teach and so brother kilman said apply for jobs around the area so i said oh indianapolis public school sounds good it it wasn't in my plan but the lord was working for my good and he said just keep trusting and this is nothing about me because i promise if you knew me when i was applying for jobs you would be like oh you're not gonna make it but the Lord just kept saying, just, just keep walking, just wait, just wander around for a while. But it's not like aimlessly wandering. It's a purposeful wandering. Because in the end, there is a destiny, your eternal reward. I don't, I don't know where you're at in your life. I, I don't know what you're waiting on or I don't know what you're asking the Lord for. I don't know what you're frustrated about him not showing up on time. If someone could come for the music. I don't know the plans for your life. But I know the author and the finisher of your faith. Be encouraged. Be of good courage. Wait on the Lord. Wait, I say, on the Lord. If we could all just stand. This was supposed to be a sermon, and, and maybe it sounded more teachy than preachy. I, I'm not sure I have the difference down very well, so I'm sorry. But I've just been teaching Abraham and Sarah to my middle schoolers and have been up at the front saying, God is going to make you wait for something, I promise. <laughs> You're 12, so I asked what, what God makes them wait for, and one girl said, my Instagram picture to load. <laughs> yeah, that 12 seconds is tough sometimes. <laughs> and we laugh. But some of them are struggling with real things too that I won't go into, but waiting is hard no matter where you're at. 
whether it's your Instagram picture or, or God's promise fulfilled to Abraham and Sarah, waiting will be required of you. Waiting will be required of you. And I just kept saying it over and over again and I could see their little faces just like, okay, and I told them, and when, when God asks you to wait, you just keep walking, okay? Don't give up. Don't lay aside this truth because you're tired of waiting. Don't give up now. God is fighting for you. Fighting for you. He's a good father. He's a good, faithful father. He is just and he is on time. And he is speaking to the young adult saying, Hey, I'm on your side. I haven't forgotten you. You are not forgotten. You are my beloved. And you are where I want you. Let's just pray for a moment. God, we love you so much, Lord. We love you, God. You are so faithful and on time. There is no one like you, Lord. God, we need you to purge us, God, to wash us, Lord. Forgive us for not wanting to wait, God. Forgive us for being impatient, God, for not trusting your timeline, Lord. God, I want to know that I can trust you in the good times and the bad times and in the waiting times, God. So often your answer is wait, Lord, and I'm so quick to tune that out. But Lord, show us that you are on our side. God, encourage, encourage us today, Lord. 